Exodus chapter 33, verses 17 to 20. Verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favour in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I'll show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. The next reading comes from Exodus 34. Verses 29 to 35. Verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out, and when he came out and told the people of Israel what, was, what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. And our final reading comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 to 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 4, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there were, was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. 
For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, Lord, gracious God, we just humbly come before you, knowing that you are a God who speaks. Father, your word has spoken to billions of people for thousands of years. We thank you, Lord, that it still speaks today. And Father, I pray that you would speak through this um, dumb ox of a man, that you would be glorified, that we would hear your voice, that we would see your face, and we would be changed. Father, cause our hearts and our minds, our whole lives, to be inclined towards you as we hear you now. In Jesus. Amen. Well, it's good to be back, Chapel Street. It's nice to have some people here as well as here. And uh, hello to Makalaka. It's lovely to see you online too. Um, we're going to preach the final character of the cross this morning. Um, the final one, we were meant to be doing a whole load of others, but we decided that we would conclude this series at this juncture and we may do something similar later on um we are going to start preaching from ephesians soon that's part of the 2020 program so i'll give you this final character of the cross this isn't one of wayne's this is one of my own um so we'll see how we go and it's the character of the cross concerning glory the character of the cross in glory. Now, anyone who reads the Bible knows that the Bible contains this word glory of God constantly. It's everywhere in the word of God. God's glory, God's glory, God is glorious. Glorify God. And the cross, I want to say to you, is the pinnacle, the thing that's at the very top of God's glory. It's a word that's grossly misunderstood, I think, in relation to the cross and in relation to things generally. It's misunderstood by people in the church. It's misunderstood by people outside the church. What I want to say to us straight away is when we talk about the glory of God in the cross, it's not about us. We're caught up in it. We are brought into this beautiful reality and picture of the glory of God in the cross. And we want forgiveness, and forgiveness is essential, isn't it? Otherwise, how will we enter into a right relationship with the glorious God? 
but I want you to know that it's not fundamentally or primarily about us. It's fundamentally and primarily about God. Now, I had the uh, little privilege of uh, communicating with a dear friend of mine who is an academic at Oxford. He's a scholar in uh, Old Testament studies and in Hebrew. And I asked him to tell me what the Hebrew word for glory is and what it means. And he said the Hebrew, there are a few Hebrew words that sort of reference uh, the meaning of glory. And the main one is chabod. And he says that that word means heavy, weighty, profound, something that is fundamental to God in relation to glory. Heavy, weighty, profound. Not something to be taken lightly. And in the New Testament, the Greek, which I understand from his name's Hal Clifford, so I'll give him the uh, reference, um, comes from the Septuagint, which is uh, the Old Testament in Greek, and is in the same word in the New Testament is doxa, where we get the word doxology. It literally means God's glory in action. So if you think of orthodox as a word, ortho meaning correct or right, and doxus meaning glory. So orthodox understanding of scripture produces or should produce the right glory in us as an action. And I want to say right now that Jesus is orthodox. He is the right, correct action of glory towards God the Father. John Piper, in a recent interview that I listened to, was asked the same question, what is the glory of God? And he said, it's really difficult to define. And then he came out with this, which I think is really beautiful. He said, God's glory is the going public of his infinite worth. It's the going public of his infinite worth. He says that he defines holiness as glory. He defines glory as holiness. And the holiness of God is the infinite value of the intrinsic worth of God. So when God exposes his glory, he's exposing his worth, his value, his nature, something that is weighty, heavy, and profound. And fundamentally, it's about his holiness. It's about his holiness. And when we see something of God's chabod, or doxa, glory, it's also something that's attractive, it's appealing, it's desirable. God's glory isn't something to be ignored, to be missed. It's something to be drawn towards. So we're going to preach straight out of the Word today. So I want you to try and keep your fingers in the Word of God. It's the Word of God that matters here. So turn, if you will, back to Exodus chapter 33 with me and be prepared to jump to 2 Corinthians. Obviously, we'll go there 
And I want us to understand a little bit more about what God says about his weighty, profound heaviness in terms of his glory. And then we'll, we'll see what Paul has to say about that on the cross. Remember, keep the cross in your mind as we go through this. When I say the cross, I'm talking about the gospel of Christ, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ in accordance with scripture, in accordance with saving ourselves and bringing glory to God. So I'll just read straight from the text. So back in Exodus 33, we'll read from verse 17 again. I do have two points, so I shouldn't forget to make them. The first one is, glory has a name, a character, and a face. Glory's got a name, a character, and a face. Verse 17, And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. There's that picture that we heard some weeks ago about God knowing Moses by name. There's an intimate relationship there. But Moses is pretty quick off the mark. He says, well, please show me your glory. That's a, a pretty good thing to ask for. And God said, I will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Moses asks to see God's glory, and God simply says, I will proclaim my name. I will show you my goodness. But you cannot see my face and live. You cannot see God face to face because his glory is so holy that even Moses, who has found favor with God, would evaporate through judgment, because he's a sinner. I want you to notice that God says that he is going to proclaim his name. This isn't a, a, a silent whispering of God. He's going to proclaim it. It's going to be declared. It's going to be made known. Jump down, if you will, just to chapter 34, uh, verse 5 where the Lord actually does these things. It says in, in chapter 34, verse 5, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear 
the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Did you hear the name? Did you see God's character? Because if you did, then you're hearing something and seeing something of God's glory. He says, I'm God. I'm God. I'm holy. I'm gracious. I'm slow to anger. I abound in steadfast love. I keep it for thousands. I forgive iniquity and transgression. This is God's name. This is God's character. This is God's glory. But did you notice it also includes that he will not let sin go unpunished? Sometimes when we talk about the glory of God or we talk about God, particularly outside of church to non-Christians, we don't mention that bit. We say God is good, he's loving, he's merciful, he's just. And the moment we say that, we should move towards judgment for sin. Part of his glory is all of those things. He doesn't miss out the fact that he's a judge. And when Moses hears this, he jumps for joy and runs around super happy. That's not what the text says, is it? Look at verse 8. It says, and Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. When you see the Lord and his glory, that's what you do. That's the right response. You're on holy ground again. Bow your head. Be reverent. Be honouring. Be loving and worship God. So that's the context for us today. Now let's jump to the New Testament, to the Apostle Paul's letter in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. So jump right over into the New Testament. After the Gospels, you've got Acts and then Romans and then 1 Corinthians and then 2 Corinthians. And I want us to just hear what Paul says about the event that describes something of God's glory again, because Paul pushes this event to its sort of almost its final destination. Its final destination is the second coming. But we haven't got there yet. So he pushes it to the next stage. He lifts the bar, he turns the volume up, whatever metaphor you want. So let's read again. Second Corinthians chapter three. From verse 4. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 4. Paul says, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, the spirit gives life. Now he starts to interpret what we've just seen in Exodus. He says, now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone 
came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses's face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? When Paul says the ministry of death, he's specifically referring to the work that God gave Moses to do when he gave him the Ten Commandments on the tablets of stone. When he came down from the mountain, he had the law in his hands. And the law is the thing by which we are condemned. The law is the thing by which we are judged. And so Paul says it's the ministry of death. But it came with glory. There's two kinds of glory it came with. One is the law is glorious. The law is holy. The law speaks of God and his character and his nature. And the second kind of glory is this shining, this image, this visage that's on Moses' face that he covers up. He says it came with glory that the Israelites, such that the Israelites couldn't gaze at Moses' face because of its glory. Moses had been in the presence of God. He hadn't seen his face, otherwise he wouldn't exist. He comes down. He's heard that the Lord is the Lord, and he's seen and heard something of his character, and his face is shining with the glory of God. And the Israelites cannot look at it. I want you to hear this. They cannot see the glory of God in the face of Moses. And they ask him to cover the veil. It's too shiny. At the Bible study on uh, Thursday, I asked the group the question, what is the glory of God? And we had lots of beautiful pictures about sunshine and, and bright things and glorious things and character and so on. And this is why we have this view about God's glory. And he says, since that ministry had glory, surely the ministry of the Spirit has even more glory. Verse 9, for if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, that's Moses' ministry, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, he says, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because, the, because of the glory that surpasses it. Now, Paul does not mean that the ministry of death had no glory. He simply means it had this much compared to the ministry of the Spirit's glory, which is far bigger. So in comparison, it felt like or seemed like it didn't have any glory. Then he says, verse 11, for if what was being brought to an end, that's the ministry of death, came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. And he says, since we have such a hope, we're bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome as what was being brought to an end. And Paul says, verse 14, but there, the Israelites' minds were hardened. Now listen carefully. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the Torah, the Bible, the Old Testament, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. 
What's Paul saying here? He's saying that just like the veil that was in front of Moses' head, his face, the Israelites couldn't look on the glory of God in the face of Moses, that veil now exists between them and the word. What does Paul mean? Well, I think he means that when they read the word, because they don't know Christ, they cannot really see the glory of God. Then Paul pushes this even further. He says, only in Christ is that veil taken away. Verse 15, yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. It's even more powerful. But, verse 16, and here comes the good news. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Wow. That's good news. Because without that, we're not going to see God's glory. He says, verse 17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's a whole sermon just there. So we won't dwell on that. But we should be free in this. Verse 18, And we all, Christians online, here in this building, around the world, that's the all, we all, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord. We're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I read that and I find that absolutely staggering. The Israelites couldn't look on the glory of God in the face of Moses. <clears throat> Excuse me. They had hard hearts. There was a veil put between them and the glory of God. The veil existed between them and the word of God so they couldn't see the glory of God. And it would be the same for us. But when we turn to the Lord, that veil is lifted. And we can see something that we couldn't see before. God's glory. Amen. Amen. One of the other words uh, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew, that refers to how we bring glory to God is the word halal. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory. Give glory to God. Isn't that the right response when we find out that the veil has been removed and we can see God for who he is, for his character, for his name, for his holiness? Because that's meant to be the right response. And that's the freedom that the Spirit gives us. And don't get me wrong, we should bow down like Moses but we should also jump for joy. We should also learn what it means to rejoice. We were blind. We couldn't see anything of God. Not really. His invisible attributes, I'll give you that. Paul gives us that. His eternal power, his divine nature. But to see him and his glory. So my first point then 
because glory has a name, a character, and a face. And in the Old Testament, no one could see the face because you'd perish. You're dealing with a holy God who is truly glorious. My second point is glory has a name, a character in the cross, and a face. Fortunately, Paul takes us to the next level. And anyone who knows me knows that this is my favorite passage in all of Scripture. I say that about every verse that I preach from. But this one is one of my favorites without doubt. And Paul says, having heard everything we've just talked about, Moses, the veil, turning to God, the veil being re removed, us being able to see the glory of, of God. He says in verse 1 of chapter 4, Therefore, because of all those things, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we don't lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. You say, Amen, Paul. And then listen to this. And even if our gospel, the message of Christ dying on the cross for the sins of the world to bring glory to the Father, the message of the resurrection, even if that gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, and just pause there for a second, the God of this world is not God. The God of this world is a small g. And he's referring to Satan, the prince of the power of the air. So let's just back up a bit. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the ones that are perishing, the God of this world has, listen, blinded the minds of the unbelievers. So the gospel is being preached, it is being proclaimed, and to those people that are perishing, Satan has blinded their minds. They can't see. Well, what is it they can't see? Have another look. Verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers, listen, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. What is it, Paul? Of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. See, the, the gospel is preached and proclaimed. Satan is blinding the minds of the unbelievers to prevent them from seeing one thing, the light, the light that is the glory of God in the gospel in Christ, and Christ is the image of God. And by the way, when it says the image of God, it doesn't mean he's a kind of poor reflection. It means he is very God. Hebrews says that Jesus is the radiance, the radiance, the, the rays that come out of the source, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of the nature of God. To Satan... When we preach the gospel to people, I'm always conscious of this. 
I can't make anybody's eyes open. If I did, or did, I wouldn't be standing here if I could do that. But when we preach that, we must remember Satan's blinding people's minds. He's keeping them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of God. Fortunately, God knows that. In fact, God is sovereign over that. He's in that. He determines that. And he has a response. Now just pause for a second and remember, back in Exodus, we heard that God, when he was asked to show Moses his glory, said, I will proclaim my name. Have a look at what Paul says next. Verse 5. For we proclaim, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but what? Jesus Christ as Lord. Did you, did you hear that? Paul says we don't proclaim ourselves. We've got nothing to give you other than the gospel. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. Remember, Paul is in the context of Moses here. He's in the context of glory. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Now God is the creator, and the creation brings glory. We spoke about that a few years, a few years ago, a few weeks ago. It feels longer. And that glory in creation becomes a platform, a place, a setting, a stage, if you will, for the revelation of his, what we call, big, heavy picture glory. Verse 6, he says, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, listen carefully, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, where? If you're reading it, you'll say, in the face of Jesus Christ. Poor Moses. I shouldn't say poor Moses. Moses sees God face to face now, and we will one day. But he asked to see God's glory. And God said, I'll proclaim my name. I'll show you my goodness. And all those things happened. He came down from the mountain. His face shone with the glory of God. The Israelites couldn't look on it. They only see the glory of God in the face of Moses. He said, put a veil over it. And Paul says that veil still remains. When we turn to God, it's lifted. If we preach the gospel to those of perishing, Satan will blind the minds of the unbelievers. But we proclaim Jesus as Lord. And God says, let the light shine in Sam's heart, I want him to see the light of the gospel, which is the glory of God, in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, I've never seen Jesus' face, but I know I'm going to. I know I'm going to. But in this, I can see his glory. Glory has a name, a character, and a face. Glory has a name, a character in the cross, and a face. We get to see Jesus. See, that's the point of the cross. 
The point of the cross is to redeem a people, is to save them from their sins. It is to forgive them. It is to reconcile them. But it's primarily in doing that that God the Father is glorified. In the Bible study last week, we were looking at uh, John chapter 12. And all the way through John, you'll hear Jesus and John saying, my hour has not yet come. My hour is not at hand. My hour has not yet come. And then finally, after the triumphal entry, the time of the Passover, the Lord's going into Jerusalem. And some Greeks, ironically, not Jews, want to talk to him. They've got questions. And he says, and he answered them. Jesus answered them, the hour has come. For the Son of Man to be glorified. Finally, the hour's come for the Son of Man to be glorified. How are you going to be glorified, Jesus? Truly, truly, he says, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What's Jesus talking about? He's talking about the cross. I'm going to be glorified in the cross. My Father is going to be glorified in the cross. He says just a little bit later, now, now the hour has come. Now is my soul troubled. And what will I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven and said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The character of the cross reveals the glory of God. See, forgiveness, love, grace, mercy, peace, righteousness, wrath, victory, justice, all of the characteristics of God on the cross are Christ's characteristics. And they all roll up into one picture. The Lord, the Lord, his character and his face. What is God saying? He's saying, I'm God. I'm holy. Not you, Sam. Me. Do you see what I'm doing? I'm fulfilling my character. I'm demonstrating to a dying world what I'm really like. Even more so than if he lifts the veil and causes you and I to see that. Should we not jump for joy and bow our head? Moses had the glory of God shining on his face, on his skin, it says. Jesus' entire life, his entire death, burial, resurrection, and all that was happening on the cross has got glory written all over it. So as we close then, let's just add a little application. You know, you and I are made in the image of God. We're made 
to glorify God. That's our, our task. That's our job. That's what we're here for. It isn't to print T-shirts. It isn't to have a great car and a nice house or any of that. It's to love people. It's to worship him. So how then are you going with glorifying God? For anything like me, you'll be trying and failing and trying and failing, but you'll be convicted. You'll be convicted. Listen to this, Matthew 5, 14. The Lord says, you, referring to you, referring to me, you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. What does the light do? It shines. We just heard about that, the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. We're meant to bring glory we don't add to God's glory. That's ridiculous. But we can honour him for his glory. And if you've not turned to Christ, if you've not had that veil removed, if you're still being blinded by the veil and can't see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for you, then I say to you, come. Don't delay. Today's the day of salvation. You don't know what will happen to you this afternoon or the moment this service is ended. Come now. Repent. Come and confess to God. You are holy. I see your glory. Help me to see it more. I am not holy. I have zero glory apart from what you're doing in me for your glory. Save me. Have mercy on me and enter into a relationship where he knows you by name because you've seen his face. In a moment, we will be taking communion and Warren will lead us through. What a perfect opportunity to pause and to reflect on how our week has gone in terms of giving glory to God, where we failed. Confess to God. And if you haven't known God until now, come, come, take, eat, drink. Because you're able to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Once again, Lord, we just humbly come before you knowing that you really are glorious and yet we see just a smidgen of that glory. And so, Lord, we beg you, we beg you, Lord, that you'd open up a view of Christ Jesus' face, the real name that honors you with glory, that you honor him with glory, and the Spirit honors you with glory by testifying to us. Lord, would you let us see more of Jesus? Would you let us see more of the cross, more of your beauty and your majesty? And Lord, that we would bow down, that we would worship you in spirit and truth freely. Do this, dear Lord. In Jesus and all Chapel Street said, Amen.